Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello everyone, I'm Chris Wynn. Welcome to the Rugger Report podcast in association with the Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen as we approach the opening day of the 2022-23 season back in the Championship. And we open up with a home fixture live on Sky against a useful Coventry City side that finished right smack bang in the middle of the table last season, which was their second year in the Championship following their promotion from League One. So to help us bring us up to speed with all the latest regarding the Sky Blues, who are very pleased to have the company of Glenn Watkin from Sky Blue Fans TV. Hello, Glenn. Hello, Chris. Thank you for having us on tonight. No, no, thank you for joining us. Welcome to the Rogue Report podcast. How are you keeping it? I'm not too bad. Looking forward to some football. I'm getting a bit bored with watching cricket and uh, the other stuff, so I'll be glad to get back to some football. I was just about to say, I mean, in terms of like Sky Blue Fans TV, I mean, are things starting to ramp up? Are you kind of looking forward to getting busy again in terms of your coverage? Uh, we've actually been quite busy this this summer, actually. We've been <laughs> um, doing a few things. We had uh, BBC Radio one big weekend at Coventry, so we recorded some content with some fans there. We've been doing a few um, pods with um, some local people. And also one of our colleagues, Ken, went over to Spain where we had our pre-season. I think it's the Pintar Stadium that we played at. Um, I know he obviously recorded some stuff over there with some fans. So we've actually not really had much of a break, to be honest. We've kept quite busy and uh, we've just hit 100 pods now. So that's quite good. We've not been going for more than a, a year. We're quite excited. Yeah, it's um, enjoyable. Um, it started as a bit of fun um, and it's kind of just got to a weekly occurrence and we have a good laugh we meet up for a few beers at games we go for some food so yeah it's um, it's been a nice um, connection so yeah we're, we're looking forward to the football season starting and um, can't start soon enough it's just a bit of a shame that it's on sky and it's a 12 o'clock kickoff on sunday which is going to be a bit of a nightmare for a lot of the fans to get up to with the train strikes but yeah it should be a good game i think there's a lot of fans looking forward to it and it's sunderland and there's a there's no love lost between the two clubs let's put it that way well, I'll, I'll come on to that, I'm sure, in a, in a little bit. But, uh, I mean, Sutherland have a kind of fans TV. In fact, I think we have quite a few fan TV kind of setups that cover the club. And probably if you're up at the stadium like the weekend, you'll probably see them kind of dotted around filming outside the ground. But, I mean, do you do a similar thing and kind of try and pull in fans who've 
kind of maybe had a few sherbets outside the ground kind of before and after the game or, or, or do you do things a bit different? We try and avoid being a bit like Arsenal fan TV. We don't really want to be sensationalist <laughs> and, and just almost caricatures on it. So we, we basically started out, we've got fans, to fans just ourselves as a group of fans talking about the game and stuff. Obviously then we've added people to the team, got people that go out. So there's a couple of people, Miles and Ken, regularly go on their way travel. So they've started recording stuff on the transport um, we have a, basically our own pub called the Skyby Tavern, which is basically a pub which serves food and it's all Coventry City memorabilia. So it's got shirts and everything up and they run the away transport. So it's a nice little place for Cough fans to go and meet up to watch the game. Obviously, there'll be a load of fans there watching the game on Sunday in Sky. There'll be loads of fans going up on the coaches. So that's good. So, yeah, we, we, do, we do start doing video content and audio content with fans, but we, we try not to go overboard where you get people just I don't want to use idiots because it's not the right word but yeah I, I don't want it to be like a bit of a joke I think you can have a laugh and disagree with we do have some cough fans that have some really bizarre takes on the, the takes on things but yeah it, it's I think we try and give it a sensible feel to it we don't let people on if they're going to go and start I think we'd rather have someone who's going to have a genuine consistent debate and conversation about players so yeah I think we, we, we'll have people on who'll criticise the team the management the board etc that's fine but I think it's the way that they do it so yeah we've we are a fans channel but I, I don't think we do it the same way that other maybe fans channels do and we're kind of just seeing how it goes this season so we're going to look to film stuff with fans etc we'll take it from there and see how it goes yeah, I mean, as we'll get into it, I mean, it has been a pretty tough decade or so for Coventry City, you know, years in League One and then even a year in League Two, which we'll come on to in a, in a bit more detail. But I'm old enough to, to kind of think of Coventry City as a as a Premier League club or even when I was younger, a first division club as it, as it used to be in, in my childhood. So, I mean, how, how far does your love of Coventry go back? And it was a matter of geography that you you come to follow them or family ties or how did you come to be a Coventry fan? Uh, funny enough, we did a pod on Sunday with a local band called the Institutes and we we're talking about the first football match we went to. My first football match was Aston Villa v Wimbledon. So it was in the era of like Big Ron, Daly and Atkinson, Dean Saunders, Steve Staunton, all those lot. So yeah, uh, that was my first football match I went to as a cough fan. That's really not everything to be proud of. And I don't really, really, <laughs> really want to say that. It's probably the only time I've enjoyed a trip to Villa Park because every other time we went there, we got beat <laughs> as cough fans. So yeah, my first game, uh, my dad used to do the Scarborough pools. We had a bookmakers across the road from where we used to live. They used to go to the cough game. So we used to get a lift with them. Um, my first game was Mick Quinn's debut, scored twice. We were turning up and lost 3-2 to Man City somehow. Uh, I think Noel Quinn played, Terry Phelan. So, yeah, that was my first golf game I lost. The irony is my son, Ben, who's my eldest, his first golf game was a loss to City in the FA Cup, which was just one of those days. And I don't think you ever forgive Lee Burge for getting sent off, or you guys had. And my youngest, Jacob, who's not really a football fan, his first game saw us lose 2-1 to Luton. My second game, um, we beat Liverpool 5-1. So I was hooked. We absolutely were on fire that day. Jamie Redknapp got sent off. So yeah, it was brilliant. And we beat Liverpool and everyone at school was Liverpool, Man United, Arsenal. So yeah, I was hooked from there. So it's quite good. I'd actually seen... Liverpool's two record Premier League defeats because I saw them obviously lose 5-1 to Cov and I saw them lose 6-1 against Stoke because uh, my dad's from Stoke so we went and watched Gerard's last game so they were the two record defeats until 
Villa spanked him 7-2, I think, in lockdown, obviously beyond closed doors. So, yeah, I watched him with Dad for the rest of the season, stayed up actually quite easily that season. Uh, Phil Neal, I think, took over from Bobby Gould. Then the next season, I think I've got a season ticket. I was there watching us pretty much till, I think it was 96, 97. Obviously, then I went to college and started getting a job and didn't really go up that much. But yeah, I had some great memories. I went playing Sunderland. I think Michael Bridges was playing for you guys and we drew 2-2 and there was loads of snow. Dublin got sent off for booting Michael Bridges and got seven-game ban because he got sent off the next game because you didn't get automatically suspended. Um, and I always remember it because there were snow, snowballs and stuff being thrown at Perez. Lionel Perez was your goalkeeper and one of the lads I know he got escorted out because they thought he'd thrown a snowball the steward it wasn't him it was somebody else and he got frog marched out of the ground but yeah we had some we had some great memories like I said we beat Chelsea twice on the opening day of the season we won 3-0 at Arsenal away at Highbury Quinn scored a hat-trick so yeah we smashed Blackburn so yeah we had some really really good players looking back at it and you don't realise how much you appreciate playing Wimbledon on a Saturday in the Premier League when you play in Morecambe or Forest Green do the double over you in League Two or Newport County <laughs> beat you one nil at home when your goalie throws the ball in the back of the net. So yeah, there's um, some great, great memories. Kind of didn't really go that much when I was working. I picked the odd game up, kind of only really got back into Cov properly. I think it was around the time that they returned to the Rico after being at Sixfields, I think the Gillingham game, uh, which won it, and we obviously sold it out. We sold out the ground. It was on Sky. Me and my dad went back. And then I think towards the end of the season, that season, my eldest Ben started to go, and then we got season tickets, and we've, we've hardly missed a home game since. And yeah, my Ben thinks it's brilliant because he's seen us at Wembley, win at Wembley twice. He's seen us beat Stoke City with Premier League side. He's been to Brighton, he's been to Watford, he's been to Southampton. He thinks it's a whale of a time. And like, I, I never, I, I sort of was getting knocked out at home by Gillingham or other till Tranmere absolutely <laughs> obliterating us. So yeah, he. He thinks it's a bow or last being a cough fan. So I'm like, no, it isn't. There's some real bad times. You have, you you have, you're on the, you're on the upward climb. Well, again, we'll we'll get on to some of those uh, dark times. <laughs> Apologies in advance, but uh, but yeah, I was going to say, um, you know, some of those memories as well. I remember Mick Quinn's uh, hat trick at Highbury and that uh, that that celebration, that stupid chicken dance thing he did he did afterwards i remember that as well but i mean uh, my early memories of uh, coventry go back to kind of the late days of john Sillett with the likes of brian kilcline Cyril regis and, and david speedy or oh, i'm sure i'll mention again in a minute but uh, and that was just before terry butcher took charge so we shared your pain um you know in terms of having terry butcher as a, as a manager and a player manager but there is an odd relationship you, you kind of touched on it earlier there's an odd relationship between sunderland and coventry I mean, it stems back, you know, for those old enough to, to 1977, you know, all those allegations that centred around what, you know, Jimmy Hill did or didn't do and all of that sort of stuff. Then there was the, you know, the Gary Bennett and David Speedy having a having a cuddle in amongst the Sunderland fans in the in the League Cup quarterfinal in, in 89-90. And then, and then we had 1997, which was all a bit odd, you know, the, the game kicking off late and but we got beat at Wimbledon anyway. Um, and, and I mean, for me, I mean, and I mean this in the nicest sense, I mean, I I don't really care about Coventry City, if if that makes sense. You know, to me, there isn't really that that rivalry. But there is some who do see the two clubs as having that sort of rivalry. I mean, are there any Coventry fans that build this game up to be a bit more than some of the others because of that history? It's weird because I I, I don't 
Coventry don't really have a rival. Villa, Villa don't see us as a rival. Leicester don't. So we haven't really got an out-and-out rival on it. I think it's just Sunderland have kind of got that bit of... I don't know. I don't know. We've kind of just shared that much together. The clubs are kind of intertwined in a weird way. And I wouldn't want Sunderland to go down this season. But then I think there's other Cough fans who probably think, yeah, yeah, I want Sunderland to go down. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't. I just don't really get it. it it's a bit It's a bit odd. I don't really have any problem with Sunderland fans. It was ironic. We played, I think it was at the CBS where Catamol scored for you guys and Johnson Clark Harris equalised for Cough. And obviously, there's a bit of trouble after the game. I got the train back. And everyone on the train, Sunderland fans, because it was absolutely chocker full of people because they're useless with the trains. It was sound. I've never, never had a problem. But then, obviously, I went up for the 5-4 game. And it it just had that atmosphere to it. And there's only been a couple of times I've been to a football ground where I felt, mm, I'm a bit worried. Not not in it, and I suppose it's because I was with Ben as well, and that probably was, and he's young. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched the playoff final, and I was like, Sunderland, and I was like, to be fair, Sunderland deserved it. And I think that you generally speak to most Cough fans, they, they they think, if we wanted any team first game of the season, we didn't, we didn't want Sunderland. I don't think any team would want to go to Sunderland first game of the season. They're going to be absolutely buzzing. On it, so I, I just don't see it as a rivalry. I just think it's there's always an idiot minority. Unfortunately, you don't need you, if people there with families like there was idiots throwing stuff at the five four game, and obviously we were we were got on the coach on the way back, and there was loads of fans lining up on the on the on the side and thinking, oh, they're going to throw something in through one of the windows. You, you don't want that to be your experience of a football match. So no, I I, I don't see them as a rival. I hope they stay up. Because I genuinely think Alex Neal's a good manager. I think you've got some good players. But yeah. it's not going to be easy to stay up the championships a slog um, on it. But yeah, I, I think it's it's just a bit of a silly rivalry. It's like we've had arguments with Borough, Middlesbrough this season, Burnley, and I'm sure we'll find somebody else to have a fallout with about something. Well, I mean, just just getting on to that kind of trajectory we're talking about with, with, with Coventry and where you've kind of come from, because, I mean, as you said, Coventry for years and years just kind of clung on to that Premier League status, but eventually they went down in, in 2001 and then it kind of bobbed around the championship until, you know, 10 years later when things really started to go downhill when the club was relegated to League One in, in 2012. And then it even snowballed from there because... The club went in administration a year later. Then you had to play home games at Northampton. You mentioned six fields earlier on. Then there was years of fan protests. Then relegation to League Two for the first time in 2017. I mean, the problems just seemed to keep on racking up for the club. Did it just become a bit exhausting following the club when it was just one thing after another? I think it became very toxic. And I think the problem we had, we then, we have majority of the time a real good reputation with fans, with other clubs now. I think there was a period of time where we were doing the fans' protests. There was the, the infamous one that I remember is we played Sheffield United on Sky on a Thursday night. We lost 2 1, and it was just the most horrible experience. There was loads of like, fans with whistles, it, there was fans running around, there were people running on the pitch. It was just such a horrible atmosphere and game to watch. And I think that the problem with that is we got a bad reputation on the back of that. And I, I get that we were trying to fight for the club and do it, but I think we risked alienating the, the fan base on it uh, and other fans. And I, I think we almost become a bit of a, a mocking, a laughing stock. I mean, the classic example was the season at St Andrews. If I had a pound for every away fan that they chanted, 
you aren't you supposed to be at home or you're this ground's too big for you and blah 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 and it was just like yeah but it was kind of when that season and we got up I think most people in the league then saw us as the best team in the league and appreciated the fact that we got it we obviously went and did the checker trade trophy where we took a massive away following massive following there and obviously then we kind of turned it and got people back on side because we be, now we're a team that people look at and say I like watching Coventry City play the amount of plaudits we get now is, is really really good but yeah there was a time where you wouldn't really be proud to say I'm I'm a Cov City fan because we, what what we're famous for a team a club that's left the city twice, albeit both times probably were extenuating circumstances outside the football club, but more could have been done to help that. And we're famous for running on pitch on pitches and pitching and stopping games and just general protests about it. And we had no direction, no leadership. Um, and the positive, we, the only good thing CSU did was a getting Mark Robbins back. And B, getting David Body on board. And once they got those two back, um, well, Robin's back and Body on board, it started as having people who knew what they were doing and, and had a semblance of a brain and knew what the plan was and where we were going to go. Tony Mowbray, I mean, he's got North East connections, loving to bits, played some great football. But if you build your team around three loanees, which is what he did in Armstrong, Kent and Jacob Murphy, there was no chance in hell of any of them staying at Cobb past that season. And once they kind of went back, we had no plan B and we just dropped like a stone and we threw away what should have been a promotion season. And he's done the same at Blackburn. He's relied on loans and then just see you later, Blackburn. I'm not renewing my contract and Blackburn are a mess waiting to happen on it. So that was the downside on it. We had Stephen Presley, who was a decent manager, but not really good enough. We had Andy Fawn, should have never had him in charge. He was a good coach. He wasn't a manager. We had Chris Coleman, you guys all know how brilliant he is. Um, Ian Dowie. We just well, we just turned into a cycle of managers where we'd have a manager 12 to 18 months if we were lucky, and then see you on when you rebuild and you just end up with players from a manager over to another manager to another manager to another manager, like much like Sunderland. So yeah, we've we've turned the corner, we're on the way back. We play good football. I enjoy watching us. Last season's the most enjoyable. I'll probably Cough season I've had probably since the entertainer season where we all had Haji, Chipo, Huckabee, Dublin, Robbie Keane, but that court mid 90s period where we were really, yeah. really good. Botang, McAllister, yeah. we had some really, really, really good players and played some really, really good football on it. And, and that's the thing you want to see good football. Yeah. Well, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned kind of going down to to League Two, but but Coventry got promoted for the you know the first time of asking from League Two, and I mean going back, I mean although there was obviously the FA Cup win in nineteen eighty seven with that kind of pretty epic diving header uh, from Keith Ouch, and uh, you know I'm pretty sure it was our own Gary Bennett's brother Dave who who delivered the cross as well. Yeah. Well. Um. But but that, but that uh, but that season was the it was amazing when I read up actually it was the first time the club had finished in the top six in a league season since 1970 which is kind of gone you know knocking on 50 years you know finishing in the top six um after a full league season I mean so that must have just felt like a huge turning point that the club were on the up because they'd finished in the top six in the league but also got back up in the first time of asking yeah it was kind of a weird season because we we had started reasonably well then we had a bit of a dip then we lost a load of key players obviously Jody Jones did his ACL after being after flying and was really really on form and Mark Robbins kind of had to rebuild the team and bring a couple of youngsters in and then we had the cut run which 
helped us to a degree, but didn't help us. Um, and then we kind of were in a bit of trouble. I think we played Luton, uh, no, played Luton, and we drew two-two. Uh, and I think we had Lincoln where we got beat 4-2 at home. And I was like, mm, we might be in a bit of trouble here. But we then just clicked into gear. We kind of stumbled into the playoffs. We drew nil-nil with Morecambe where neither team wanted to lose, which was very, I suppose that would be the closest thing to the infamous Bristol City Cov game, <laughs> what it would be like doing that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was um, quite interesting. That was quite an experience when neither team wanted to attack or have a go. Then we had Notts County where I see it as a bit of a sliding doors moment. Because we definitely got the luck in the two games. Obviously, we sh- the penalty we got at home was a bit lucky, and then away from a away game, we had a goal disallowed for offside that wasn't offside, and we scored two goals that were offside <laughs> on it. So yeah, we we got a bit of we got a bit of uh, luck with that. But I think once we beat Notts County, I think Exeter in the final, it was a I don't say it was a foregone conclusion, but I've spoke to a, a, a person who was on the Exeter board, and I think they thought they were heavily underdogs against Carbon. We just destroyed them and we scored three wonder goals. I mean, the goals we scored at Wembley have all been crackers, to be fair. We don't we don't do a we don't do a goal at Wembley that's not um, not memorable on it. But yeah, it, it was a weird season because we, we we dropped points against some absolute bang average team. We lost to Morecambe, Morecambe drew with us, we lost to Forest Green home and away. We lost Newport and drew at home. So yeah, it was is a, we threw t- points against some really dodgy teams, but we just beat the teams that we needed to beat. So, yeah, it, it was a good season. And then we got up to, to League One, consolidated, had a real good season. Um, and then, obviously, then we had the COVID season. We are back at Birmingham, which was quite upsetting, to be honest, because I remember being at, at this Rico for a, like a monster truck event. And it was the last, I thought it was the last time that I would see that stadium because I thought we're not going to go we're not going to come back we're done and dusted um but I don't know we were going to come back in eight in less than a year's time um but yeah I walked out in tears I was like uh, it's an absolute place that I, I love it loved at times I absolutely hated it on other times but yeah it was it's kind of weird going into that COVID season obviously there were expectations I don't think any cough fan expected us to go up as champions as we did so it was very very strange yeah, you, you mentioned that COVID impact season um, and you, you mentioned even then the club were, were ground sharing with, with Birmingham City. But uh, it was only kind of when you returned to the championship that Coventry were able to return to what used to be the Rico Arena and now is the Coventry Building Society Arena, I think. Um, and you signed a ten new 10-year deal to, to play there and carry on playing there. Um, so what is the current ownership situation and... Is the club finally on a sound foot and behind the scenes? Uh, I think we're we obviously being at Birmingham in in hindsight looks a blessing because we didn't incur the costs obviously of having an empty stadium. If you look at obviously what happened with Was through the current owners, they obviously lost out on a lot of money um, due to COVID, and obviously they have suffered a bit with their gates um obviously the novelty values kind of wore off there's an argument maybe they've burnt they had burnt some bridges with the local community with bombing cover off and that was kind of part of the reason why the olive branch was extended uh, to come back obviously it helped that they've got a guy on board Stephen Vaughan who has football connections so him working with Dave Bodies helped so I think we are on a we're on a very sound footing. I, I don't think we're we're financially 
up to where we would be. Um, I think there's obviously debts that we have to pay off. We still have loans that are money's out to CSU. But the positive is we've sold a record amount of season tickets this year. Our kit sales are through the roof because Hummel are doing an absolute smashing job on the kit. Doesn't help my money because every kit they bring out, pretty much I want to want to buy. Um, and fifty quid a share is not is not really viable. But we've had some absolute like the the away shirt which is purple is absolutely lovely it's one of the fav- my favorite cough kits going back in the early 90s where we wore that so it's a lovely kit so yeah we, we in terms of in terms of off the field i think we've got better i think we have a still got a long way to go but i think we've learned we've learned a lot of lessons and being back in coventry there is definitely a feel-good factor around the club uh, and we are doing well financially yeah. obviously the caveat that is if the situation with gambling sponsors coming because obviously we have ball sports as our sponsor is where if obviously they get removed will we be able to get a sponsor in who pays as much money as a gambling sponsor does and also what happens if we don't have as good a season this season um as as expected um i still think there's an expectation we're probably going to have to sell one of our big three in the next 12 months or so so that's how Jokerez or Haim is going to probably have to go to, as we keep saying, the Brentford model of sell and reinvest. Just going back to, to last season in, in the Championship, because I, I hinted in the intro that you finished 12th, and that was on the back of the first season in the Championship where you consolidated a bit and finished 16th. So in terms of last season, were Coventry fans happy with that little bit of improvement and establishing yourselves again as a Championship club, or was there a little bit of frustration that, you know, or, or you know that you didn't kick on a little bit more. I think it, it it's one of those. You look at it and think twelfth, it's progress. You look at the teams who we finished above. We finished but above two of the teams that made the playoffs that that the last the year before. We finished above Swansea and we finished above Barnsley, who sadly went down. The downside is you look at Luton and Huddersfield and you think mm, we missed an opportunity there. While Luton and Huddersfield miles better than Coventry, and I think in certain areas they probably got slightly better players, but I don't think they were massively miles better than the Cov team. I think we just ran out a bit of steam. We had a lot of injuries, um, and we just got very short up front. We we lost players at a a key time. Um, We lost Matty Godham for two key periods, and it kind of just put the skids on us. We lost him for a two-game ban for the Fulham dive. And that kind of just changed things. And we never really looked the same team after that. He come back and then obviously he did his appendix uh, the day after we'd loaned Tyler Walker out. And we were just down to the bare bones on it. Uh, so I think if you look at it where we were, we probably had a, we probably over overachieved the start of the season. And then we underachieved towards the end. We threw a lot of points away at home. I think some of our late equalisers masked the points that masked the fact that we dropped some pretty pretty poor results in. We lost two 0 at home to Hull, which we were really really poor against, and that was a massive. If we won that game, it would have put some massive pressure back on Sheffield United on it. Uh, and but then we absolutely destroyed some really really good teams. Sheffield United we obliterated four one. Fulham we obliterated four one. We won away at Fulham. We beat Forest. So yeah, it's. I think it's just on our day we're competitive. I think the problem is we need to learn how to win ugly. I think that's what Luton and Huddersfield did very well. They they didn't lose games or they won ugly. They got an ugly one nil. Hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, that's the other side of the coin, really, isn't it? Because you was, you know, where you've come from as well, because you have to consider that you were in League Two only five years ago. So I suppose, you know, there's that aspect to say, well, is the club still punching above its weight in terms of, you know, Mark Robbins having to squeeze as much as possible out of the players he has, you know, at his disposal? I mean, and again, I mean, just in terms of the, the job Mark Robbins has done, because he took over, you know, as the club were, were heading towards League Two. I mean, is it are you able to kind of describe how you know how high his stock is, at, you know, with the Coventry fans at the moment? It's quite funny because obviously when he left to go to Huddersfield, he'd said I think a couple of days before that he would bleed sky blue bird, and there were people when he come back because I've still got the tweets on uh, tweets and Facebook messages um, saved that were really like calling him out about coming back and saying what we do with this guy who's just deserted, but he, he gets the club. <laughs> And he's, I think he, he realises in hindsight, leaving when he did, it was the wrong choice because obviously Huddersfield didn't work out for him. But him and AD Vyvash together, AD Vyvash has been a masterstroke getting him in. His Chelsea connections, we get a lot of good players in via that, either on free transfers or players he's identified as ex-Chelsea players who he's worked with and come because they want to work with AD because he's such a good coach on it. Him and Robbins together, are a very, very good team. And I'm amazed that Mark Robbins doesn't get the bigger clubs having a look at him. I don't know whether it's because of the Huddersfield situation. Um, He had a very good League One record. I think Championship, there was always a bit of a question mark over him. If you spoke to like Barnsley and Rotherham fans, I think he's answered any questions about, is he a good Championship manager? He's proved that the last two years. So I, I don't get why he's not, considered for the bigger jobs and I hope it won't happen but I could see a situation if Dean Smith struggles at Norwich where Norwich would come looking for a couple of guys from the Borough Middlesbrough podcast at the start of last season they said if Warnock went they would take Robbins in a heartbeat and I'm just surprised he doesn't he doesn't seem to get that banded around with other names uh, with with other jobs even even a champion even a Premier League club I think he could do a decent job at the right club there is that is that a genuine fear because you, you you know you're saying that he kind of bleeds sky blue and he loves the club so you've just rattled you know Norwich I know he played I think he played for Norwich yeah. didn't he he might have had a spell there so I mean but is that a genuine fear or do you think there's only the likes of Norwich or someone who he's got emotional ties with who he might actually jump ship for uh, I'd probably say he's very similar probably journey's going to be like Eddie Howe was with Bournemouth I don't think he'd want to leave Carve till he got us back up in the Premier League or got us as close as he possibly could. I think I, the only way he'll leave Carve is either he gets a very, very good opportunity that's too good for him to turn down or it goes so bad behind the scenes that he doesn't feel that he's able to do his job. I think he's very good at... He's learned off one of the masters, Alex Ferguson. He's very good at using the media to his own ends and he's very good at getting what he wants with the board he will he will like he said we didn't have any money to sign anyone in january and then jake bidwell signs because we needed a left back he's now like said oh i need to speak to the board about getting another loan loan signing in we're pretty much sure we'll get another loan signing in uh, besides the three that we've got so he's very he's very streetwise and, and clever and i think he just managed fans expectations he, he was speaking to the fans in Spain and he said, what's your, they said, what's your ambition? He said, stay up first. That's got to be your aim first, which is right. And anything else you do after that's a bonus. But 
deep down, he'll he'll know that we we are on our day more than a match for anyone in the championship. And he does a he's he's a really good manager, and he does get the best out of players that maybe don't work as well at other clubs. There's plenty of players I could reel off who, who he's had who've had real good seasons at Cov under Robbins and gone elsewhere and not done it. McNaughty's a classic one. McNaughty at Cov was brilliant. Everywhere else he's done, he's been bang average. Uh, you started to mention the, the some of the business he's got done uh, this summer, and I know you know one of them um, that Mark Robbins has taken on someone familiar to Sunderland fans in terms of uh, Callum Doyle, who signed on loan from Manchester City, as he did with us last year. Got another loan deal for Jonathan Panzo, twenty-one year old from Nottingham Forest, um, and another central defender. And then just this week, I think Coventry have managed to to make another loan signing in Teo Adar. Ad- Ad Aramola, um, I got that right the third time, um, I think is a left-sided 18-year-old from Crystal Palace. There's a permanent deal that was done for Casey Palmer from Bristol City as well. So, I mean, what's the current feeling on the, you know, the business that Mark Robbins has managed to get done so far in the summer window? Uh, I think we obviously tried to get Jake Clark Salter back, who was with us last season. Obviously, Sunderland fans will know him. He played a bit for you guys. He was very good, but he was injury prone. Um, he's gone to QPR. Not convinced that's probably the best move for him. I don't think QPR potentially are going to be any big shake up this, this year. But obviously, it's London based. Potentially, he's got offered more money. So he's a bit of a loss. And a bit disappointing. We obviously would have liked to get Ian Matson back, who's gone to Burnley. But I'm not convinced Burnley's the right move for him if he's going to be playing left-back, which is what they said. He's not a left-back. He's a left-wing-back. He'll get exposed at Championship at left-back. So it, looking at the lads we've got in, can't really comment on Doyle because I've not seen him play that much. But generally, the feedback that I've had from Sunderland fans is how good he is and good on the ball. I think what we'll possibly see long-term is Dom Hyam, Doyle and Panzo potentially are back three. I don't think Doyle will start first game of the season. Panzo, I'll say it now, I think he will be a star in the championship and he will probably get in the in the team of the year. He looks that good. He scored three goals in two preseason games. He's brilliant on the ball. He's got pace. He's physical, good in the air. Um, I think the guy is an absolute star in the making. and. I think he'll be one that if he has a good year with us, I think Forrest will, will get him in the first team. He's one that's been on our radar for two, three years um, and we tried desperately to get him and just not have the money, but he looks really, really good. And the advantage with him, which probably Clark Salter didn't have, was Clark Salter was quick, but he wasn't that quick. I think Panzo's a lot quicker and he's a lot better at turning the ball over. I know Doyle did that a lot for you. He, he go and go forward and nick the ball and get possession. I think Panzo's really, really good at that. Clark Salter, a lot of time he did that, he'd get turned and then he'd get roasted and he could get a bit bullied up, bullied by, like, I know Adebayo at Luton give him an absolute roasting. The lad from Palace, uh, I'll call him Teo because I don't want to butcher his name. He's really promising. <laughs> don't think he'll start on Sunday. Um, I think Jake Bidwell will start. He may well get a cameo off the bench with the five subs. Real good pace. Looks good on the ball. Looks quite big, actually, for an 18-year-old. Highly thought of. A lot of people who've watched him play for the Irish youth team said really excited by him. Casey Palmer, on the performances I've seen, he's a big physical lad. So all the four lads we've got in have got a bit of physique about them, which is probably something we've lacked, where we, we look a bit small and lightweight. Good on the ball, can pick a pass. 
he's just not fully match fit. I don't think he may well be involved on Sunday because he's got a slight injury. But he's someone who I think in the next season is only going to get better the longer the season goes on. Which is good because we haven't really had anyone to play the 10 role uh, bar Callum O'Hare. We signed Bright and Abakari who decided that he would just not turn up and be the lad that destroyed you guys at the Stadium of Light in the 5-4 game. He just totally lost his plot and just was a, a bad apple and got bombed off. So that was a shame because he would have been someone really exciting. We're probably going to see another couple of new faces coming, but I don't think it'll be anyone before the game. I think Robbins wants to get another load in and there's a possibility that we'll bomb off Todd Kane and maybe bring another right back in. But I don't know how soon that'll happen. But yeah, Panzo definitely. Doyle, wait and see. I think we'll pick and manage his games. Teo, I think he'll be our first choice left back. It's just a case of when. And Casey Palmer will be managed through his games. Yeah, It'll be interesting to see how Callum Doyle does because um, he, he's got bags of potential, but he, he burnt out a little bit in a, in a full League One season. So it's going to be interesting to see how he gets on in the championship. And um, with those players bedding in, I mean, I, I was just looking at the, the last result you had there. That was a goalless draw uh, at Portsmouth at the weekend in pre-season. So, I mean, it, how have Coventry looked in, in pre-season? I mean, is it given people a, a bit of a confidence boost in, in how they've looked in the summer or is there a few concerns? Uh, we've actually been flying in pre-season for once. We've, we've, we've won every game. We've been scoring goals. We haven't really conceded that many. We beat Nottingham Forest. 3-1 um, in Spain. Uh, we absolutely destroyed Wolves under 23 side. I think we won about 8-1. Played really well at Warsaw. Played very well at Portsmouth and also Oxford we beat. The only concern is we probably gifted Portsmouth a bit too many chances and Oxford had a few chances against us. They didn't take them. My concern might be obviously a, a championship team with a bit better quality probably wouldn't not take those chances. But I think it's been a very positive pre-season. There's been lots of bonuses. People have improved from the previous season and we've got a few good youngsters that are finding their way and will be exciting to see how they get on. Um, but I think a lot of it is the same same old faces. I, I don't think we're going to be massively changing our formation. We'll still play the 3-5, oh, 3-4, 1-2. Uh, system or we might play two two behind Godden or Vic depending how we do it but yeah I don't think we're going to do anything massively different but I, I, the worry is it's been too good a pre-season because then you think what's going to happen because <laughs> we have a phrase cov it up and yeah that's the worry it's been too good a pre-season and it's setting us up for a four whereas most of the good seasons where we've done absolutely awful pre-season so but yeah having a good pre-season for cov is very rare well, you know, you describe it as flying in pre-season. I mean, has that raised the expectation level a little bit? I mean, are fans actually thinking because of that, you know, let you know we can make a push for the top six this season? Uh, I, I think there's an expect. I think there's a possibility of top six. One of the guys who does the EFL punditry, Gab Sutton, he's he's actually put us fourth when he did his review, and I looked at that and was like, mm, that's probably maybe a bit OTT. But then there's other fans. I, I've said we could finish six. I could make an argument for us finishing mid-table. I think there's 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 an expectation that we want to see improvement, and if we keep the big three, then we've got a chance. And um, but we need to keep them fit. The worry is there's still four or five weeks of the transfer window. I'd say losing Callum O'Hare would have the same impact as you guys losing Ross Stewart. Is that integral to your team? 
that I don't know how you easily replace him to get someone who's going to do the, that job instantly. So that's that's the worry on it. Until the transfer window's done and dusted and locked, you can't really say with any certainty Cov are definitely going to do this. Yeah, and, and you've mentioned quite a few players who, you know, that, that you've either brought in on loan or somebody who might step it up from from last season. So I mean, who who will Alex Neil? Be, be kind of concerned about when he's doing his homework on Coventry? Um, I would probably say Matty Goddard. Um, obviously, Matty Goddard had such a real good season last season um, for Kov. His goals per game record was outstanding. I think only Mitrovic had a better one. Um, and he loves he loves the goal on Sky Sports, as you guys will well know. Last time we played you, two minutes in, Matty Goddard scored. Um, Victor Jokerez, probably, I would argue, he's probably the best, one of the best strikers Outside the champ, in the championship, outside the Premier League, brilliant all-round game, good strong on the ball. His performance away at Southampton in the FA Cup was one of the best performances you'd see from a striker. Caused them no end of trouble for 120 minutes, and absolutely really roughed up some real good Premier League defenders on it. And really, the other ones, the obvious ones, Callum O'Hare and Gus Hamer. Everyone who follows Cobb knows. What, what they're like. The one who's interesting, who probably a lot goes a lot under the radar, is Ben Sheaf. I think he will he will have a real good season this season. He's added goals and assists towards the end of the season, and the lad looks really good. I could see him maybe being the one that comes out from nowhere and gets the Premier League move, possibly for any of the other three on it. Um, the interesting dilemma we have at the moment is who's going to play on goal, because we've obviously got Ben Wilson, who's from Sunderland, and I think he may well start ahead of Simon Moore, which is a big call because Simon Moore was very, very good for us at the start of last season. But then he had a bit of a dip in form um, and, and tailed off a bit and Wilson got the jersey. So that's the interesting dilemma. That's probably the biggest call for Mark Robbins on uh, Sunday who plays in goal. Yeah, yeah. And, and and again, I mean, looking at Coventry's away record last season, it was the eighth best in the championship, Um, you know, where Coventry won seven and drew eight out of the 23 played um, away from home. But I mean, how are you viewing that, the, you know, a trip to the stadium? I like to kick things off. I mean, I think you, you kind of mentioned it earlier because, I mean, teams who get promoted are a bit of an unknown quantity. Um, I think even Sunderland fans aren't sure how some of our players are going to you know, make that that step up. So, I mean, how, how are Coventry fans feeling about the the opening day fixture? Um, I think there's obviously a bit of a bit of scepticism on is it a good game or isn't it? Uh, I, I I'm I could make an argument why Sunderland could beat us. I could make an argument why we'll beat Sunderland. I think there's a it, it's down to the way I would pick it out is I think it's down to Sunderland's defence against Coventry's attack and how much. Alex Neal tries sets Sunderland up to attackers. I think if Sunderland sit in and make the game tight, it'll be very hard for us to break teams down because I don't think our two wing backs we have at the moment are particularly great crossing wise. I think Bidwell and Dabo are work well, but I don't think they, 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 the ammunition they send in is that good, is as good as maybe like Todd Kane was when he was on form, but he's kind of out the picture. And obviously, like Matson or Adoram, Adoramo would do for us. So that's the interesting dilemma: is the fact that you've got such a big crowd going to force the Sunderland team onto attackers? And if they do, that's when we're at our best because we can break on teams. We've got the mo- mobility in the team and the pace that we can we can cause teams problems. But yeah, um, I expect Neil will probably set it up not to lose. 
So it's really a hard, I think it's one of the hardest games to call because everyone knows from experience, first game back in the championship, there is always a surprised result. There's a team who win you don't expect yeah. to. And normally it's one of the new promoted teams get a result you wouldn't expect them to do on it. So it will yeah. be it'll be challenging uh, on it. But I think this thing, I could make arguments, maybe the goalkeeper's a weak link for you guys, but then you could say the same about Cov if Ben Wilson plays. Ben Wilson can have a worldie, but he can throw a mistake in. How's the back three going to work? Um, if we go two up front, is that going to make us a bit more short in midfield and you guys overrun us? So it, it, it's a real interesting tactical dilemma. And I, and I do rate Neil. I think he's a real good manager and he's very good on his tactics. So I, I think it depends how we decide we want to play it. I, I think Cov fans would expect us to go and attack you, yeah, but I'm not sure that's maybe the best way to play it. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, the, the, the opening day of the season, it always always feels like a big game. And, and especially for Sunderland, you know, return to the championship. So it's got that big game feeling for us. But I mean, in terms of Coventry, you know, obviously it is the opening day of the season. And I looked at the next fixture. You've got Rotherham United at home next up in the league after you play us. And it, I mean, probably on paper, it's a good opportunity to get off to a flying start. So, I mean, is there that? big game feeling about Sunday kind of creeping in with, with, with the Coventry fans thinking actually you know on paper we could really get off to a good start this season yeah if you look at our first five games they're, they're pretty good start if you compare it with last season I think our first five games we had Forrest who'd been there and there about playoffs um, we obviously had Barnsley who were there and there about the playoffs I think we had Reading who were in the playoff picture um, Blackpool had just come up and I can't remember else. it might be Millwall or Borough or something like that so we actually had quite a toughish start on paper the problem with this season is it looks quite a bit of an easier start on paper but then that's a double-edged sword because if you don't get the points <laughs> on the board then you're going to play chasing football and Rotherham have always been a bit of a bogey side for us we've, we've, we've always kind of I know we've won the last two against them but that was covid so that might have made a bit of a difference like i said i don't like playing new t- new new promoted teams early on because as i said there's always the risk of it but i, I think there is an expectation i think some car fans if you read the social media i think we're going to go and win two or three nil against you guys uh, i'm not convinced it's going to be that sort of game I, I personally think it'll probably be a boring nil nil draw after it's been hyped up by sky <laughs> as this great game to watch um and I think that's the problem on it. But yeah, it's. Um, I think there's an expectation, but I think or I would like to say there's a realism. You look at Nottingham Forest, Nottingham Forest lost to us first game of last season and look where they, look where they are now and look what they're doing. It, it, it's not the end of the world if, if we lose and it's not, we're going to get, we're going to win the league if we win. And it's the same for Sunderland. If you win, it's you're not guaranteed to stay up. And if you lose, you're not going to go down. So I think it's just a bit of realism on it and looking at the bigger picture. I think what I want to see is I want to see a bit of a performance and show that we've learned a bit of a lesson from last season because we did drop some silly points away from home when we were in control of games and we give silly goals away um, or we just make daft mistakes. Yeah, yeah. And I know, um, you know, it doesn't sometimes mean a huge amount, but I know Coventry haven't got the, the best records travelling to, to Wearside. And we mentioned that 5-4. That was the first win for Coventry at Sunderland since, since 1977. Um, and the last fixture between the two sides at the stadium light was November 2019. 
um, which I think we, we salvaged a draw in the last minute through uh, Benji Kimpioka uh, getting the late equaliser. So um, it hasn't been the, the happiest of hunting grounds for Coventry, but again, doesn't mean too much, but I'm, I'll, I'll kind of take anything I can get ahead of the game to, to calm the nerves. But uh, I, I didn't get a chance to, to check um, the away allocation given to Coventry, but is there a big following travelling up and uh, are you going to be one of them Glenn? I won't be go- we're going up um, I've got unfortunately family commitments on Sunday so I'll be watching it on Sky um, I think it was oh, possibly over 2000 I know we had an initial allocation can't remember how many it was and I think we got an extra 500 off you guys so I think there'll be a decent away turnout on there we normally pretty much normally sell out the away allocation I think this 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 first game might be slightly different A the kickoff time's not great there's obviously the problems with the train and obviously cost of living, transport, etc. Everything's going, going stupidly priced. So I think that might have a slight impact on fans coming up. But yeah, there'll, there'll, there'll be a big noise. Um, so wherever we go, we haven't make ourselves loud. We'll be quite, we're quite good trying to outsing 35,000 Mackhams. That might be quite a bit of a test, but it'll, it'll be a good away following the always is. So it'll be, it'll be good to see the Scarborough Army in voice. So I think for, for Sunderland fans, you know, 12 o'clock kickoff on a Sunday, it just depends how heavy the, the Saturday night was and and how loud I think uh, the home fans will be. So, but yeah, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, but yeah, on that, um, hope you enjoy the game from wherever you're watching it from, Glenn. And uh, and, and thank you very much for taking the time out for us and, and, and joining us. It's been a pleasure. And uh, barring Sunday, all the best for the season ahead. Same same to you, Chris. Well, same rest, all the best for the rest of the season, bar the trip to the CBS. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think Sunderland will, Sunderland will be fine. I think, like I said, yeah. Alex Neal's a good manager. I think you've got the best best chance of the three promoted teams on it. Um, and as I, I think I did a piece for, for your uh, podcast as a written piece, I said, you're going to win games that you don't expect to win and you're going to lose games that you should win. It's just having a sense of realism and perspective on it. it it's a, You're not doomed after 10 games. And you're not safe after 20, 25 games. It, it's just the championship. A week is a very long time in football on it. So, yeah, all the, all the best for the rest of the season. And um, I think I think for about, if you offer cough fans a draw now, I think most of them would bite your hand off so, uh, Sunday. Yeah, that's good advice for the season ahead, For I think, for, for Sunderland fans in the championship. Brilliant. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks, Chris. Uh, and thanks again, everyone, for listening. Uh, keep a look out at Rock Report for all the build-up ahead of the game against Coventry on Sunday. And keep an eye out on all the usual places for the next pod that should be dropping very soon. Uh, but from us, bye for now. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns